Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, ve ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka b'it Yisrael, v'niye anaknu, v'etza enu, v'etza etza e amka b'it Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka velom de Torateka, lishma, Baruch atah Adonai, Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. May we be worthy to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. So, the first thing I want to start out with is that I am now trying to get organized. It's funny because I haven't been organized before, right? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, one of the things that has struck me, especially over this past Shabbat, is that I want G-O to be short for getting organized. So uh, one of the understandings that we have game face on, we have go off, we have, you know, let's get it on. And now we're going to have get organized. So I just want to launch out this week on Parsha Chaye Sarah. Shouts out to the Rumbot. Eshet Pela over here having a mazel tov on her tour portion this week. But um, I just want to throw out that um, I want to get these podcasts a little bit more uh, squared away because I realize I have hours worth of information, but unless you scrub through each of the podcasts, you're going to have to uh, work to kind of find some of this, these things, these topics. So with the help of Hashem, Starting from Chaye Sarah and forward, I will be breaking these podcasts up via Anchor and doing them by subject. And I will put the English name to make it really simple, but I'm going to say everything as far as the titles go in Hebrew, uh, as far as, uh, you know, kind of the normal thing that I do. But as far as labeling things, I'm going to get a little bit more English going on. Because we're going to have the opportunity to expand this out more to uh, those who are not savvy to what the Hebrew is. And that's not a shade to anybody. But, uh, you know, we just got to communicate a little better. You know, I do. Anyway, got to get organized, you know. So uh, I'm going to try to do a little better on that. So uh, this week for Kaye Sarah, I just want to launch out into a little format broadcast for everybody. So we have a Sar Shalom Halakha, or known as Halakha, and it's 83 pages. And I don't know who's read all those or not, but uh, even if you have, you probably hadn't read it 400 times. So with that being the case, uh, I'm going to have a Halakha moment, and uh, so that'll be its own separate track. So for those of you who are not using the Anchor app, uh, you can go to Anchor and you can find my little portions or segments uh, broken out. And uh, I'm going to try to see if I can get real fancy with it and put some transitions on these things. So you can like go through these segments and you'll hear like either a repulsor blast or a jet engine, you know, boosting up. So we can transition on to our next topic, just kind of make it a little less uh, cray-cray when we're transitioning. So we're going to be like, all right, moving on, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, uh, so yes, yeah, so I want to talk about the halak. I'm going to just pick a pick of the uh, pick a pick. Wow. P 
pick a portion of the halakha, and we're going to drop that. So we're going to do some halakhic get you sums. And then uh, I'm going to just take a moment of sharing what I got to glean from Shabbat. Because last Shabbat for Parsha Vayera, man, it went down for real, like an elevator. So uh, from the top floor, <laughs> like no cables attached. Just like it went down like hard. So anyway, so that was good. So I want to share a little bit of that. So we'll have uh, a section of the Halakha, uh, Shabbat gleaning, and then the topic of the Torah portion which for Chaye Sarah, we're going to talk about Chaye, which is life. <laughs> and then, um, you know, uh, just some some subject that is relevant, if that is the case, you know, if we have time, uh, because I really want to talk about uh, Mashiach this week, as far as who and what he is, and use some sources on that, because I had a really, really good conversation with some Lapidniks and, uh, you know, it got deep, it got uncomfortable and uh, it's something that, you know, I think we all know, but when you say it, it, it was different. So, uh, yeah, so you're just kind of like, wait a minute, what? And it's like, well, though we're saying and articulating these words, that doesn't change how we've been living because, I mean... This is what we've been doing. This is what Lapid has been this whole time. And apparently, if you say it in so many words, it kind of hits your ears wrong. It hits your heart wrong. It's like nails on a chalkboard. You're like, whoa. And you're like, but this is it, though, you know. And so, yeah, so we'll talk about that. Um, being very vague, I know, and I'm carrying on. Suspense is building, hopefully. I don't know. Don't need to be suspenseful about it. It's just, you know, we need to talk about it. So, uh, so yeah, that's up. And then I want to talk about the Eitz Hadas, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. And, uh, you know, so Baruch Hashem, this concludes the announcement segment of this week's podcast. There will be no more announcements after this. You have been warned that the, uh, the weekly, uh, go, uh, podcast from Shummer Man, the the getting organized, go off game face on podcast will be per tour portion. And again, just to kind of run over that itinerary, we're going to have the halakhic segment of the week and we're going to have gleaning from Shabbat if there is one. Hopefully there will always be one. And then um, do, you know, a topic from the Parsha and We'll do, you know, a relevant topic should that have to happen, you know. So this week, it looks like we're going to start with two, like two Mashiachs. So, all right, Baruch Hashem. All right, now for our segment of Halakha from the Sar Shalom Halakha and Observances. By the way, you can go to mysarshalom.com and you can download your Halakha. I would suggest you keep it in digital form unless you're going. Oh, you know what? No, we fixed that. Never mind. Because our previous halakha we had uh, had some stuff that you can't throw away. So, uh, but this one, uh, it's downloadable. So if you want to go ahead and print it out, then you don't don't have to worry about that previous issues. But 
I would still recommend don't throw this away. Don't treat this like a coaster. Don't throw this on the floor. That's not nice. Okay. But anyway, I uh, shouldn't do that to anything unless it's just anyway, you know what I mean? All right. So our lack of portion is going to come from page is 12 and page 14 because we're going to get into this discussion about the oral Torah. So how many of you don't raise your hands because I can't see you? Say, Okay, anybody say that phrase? Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to. Um, one of them, uh, if you're a lady, is Lehadlik Ner Shel Shabbat, to kindle the lights of the Shabbat. If you're a guy, or a woman as well. You've also said al netilat yadayim. Okay, and uh, you've also said all these other different brachas that seemingly have no written verse about them. So what in the world? How is Hashem commanding us to do something that is rabbinic in nature? Oh, who uh, has commanded us to recite the Megillah? Who has commanded us to recite the Hallel? By the way, the word Hallel uh, is is the word for praise, but it's translated as him. So when you read in the gospel accounts about Yeshua and his Talmudim leaving from their last Seder meal, because that's what it was. It wasn't a last supper. It was a last Seder, which is why Seder supper kind of have a, a interesting little rhyme to them. But anyway, uh, as far as the ending goes, it says they went out singing a hymn as they went towards the garden. That was the Hallel, because you do the Hallel at the and the Seder uh, towards the end of it. So anyway, it's a little footnote there. So on page 12, it's under the section 1.2 talking about the Beit Dean. So let's just go ahead and drop on what a Beit Dean is real quick, because our synagogue has one. Most synagogues who believe in Yeshua, if they transport themselves as a synagogue, that is, because a lot of times it's either Hebrew roots or Messianic or something weird of that sort. They usually don't have a Beit Dean, much less even a rabbi. But I digress. It says a Beit Dean is a Hebrew term applied to a Jewish religious or civil court of law. Beit Dean literally translates as house of judgment, a court that originated during the period of the Second Temple. The original Beit Din originated during the period of the Second Temple because it's an outflow of the men of the Great Assembly, which is an outflow of the 70 elders, which is an outflow of Yehoshua, which is an outflow of Moshe, which is an outflow of the voice of Hashem in the heavenlies. Because that's ultimately where it came from, by the way. Because everything that all of these individuals and entities talk about that I just mentioned, they have and possess and handed down what was spoken to Moshe while he was in Shemaim receiving the Torah. Moshe written form brought down cliff notes because the first time he only brought down 10 commandments and in the 10 commandments, they were on the Sapphire tablets that you could see through from any angle so it's much so that it was called faces. So you could look up on the face 
of the Mashiach because there were two tablets, which are two Mashiachs, which is Sapphire tablets, which was the Mashiach in Sapphire form because it was the throne of Hashem. Mashiach is also the throne of Hashem because the throne of Hashem is the spirit of Hashem that hovered over the water in Genesis chapter one. And so the spirit of Hashem, the spirit of Mashiach, the throne of God, the original Sapphire tablets are all the same thing. But that's not where I was trying to go. I was just trying to say that this Beit Dean that outflowed from the Integrative Assembly, which outflowed from all the others that I just told you about, they have contained within them the oral Torah, which was given to us with the written Torah. The first time on the Sapphire tablets, it was in the essence of those tablets. So that way, if you looked up on the face of the one that we have pierced, because those tablets were pierced, so uh, looking up on the him who we have pierced, then you you would have seen all of the elucidations of the Gematria, the Kabbalah, the Oral Torah, like all the Midrash, the Agatha, the Mishnah. You would have seen all of that. And also you would have never forgotten it. But that was short lived because we never got to see it because we were dancing around a golden calf. We had a calf in our face and instead of having Mashiach in our face. But we digress. And then when we got the second set of tablets, Moshe had to come down with the Ten Commandments on the tablets and he had to come down with the rest orally because that's what he transmitted to us throughout our years in the wilderness. And then, you know, that is what got codified and put down on paper because, you know, right now we say, oh, yeah, and the oral Torah says and it's like what you're reading from a book. It's like, well, we're going to read why the oral Torah was written down along with all this information. It's so beautiful that this is in our Sar Shalom Halakha. So if you haven't downloaded this 33, this 83 page thing. Yep. 83 pages. If you haven't downloaded that, you should probably get to it. Okay. So again, I'm on page 12 in the middle of the Baydeen here. It says this premise of the Baydeen has a biblical origin and is recorded in Shemot, Exodus. The text says that Moshe sat as a magistrate among the people. Shemot 18.3. And later he delegated his judicial powers to appointed chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and ten. Shemot 18.21 and also in Devarim 1.15. This is what I love about Sar Shalom. We source everything out for real. This is why we're not afraid of questions. So if you have a question, there's an Ask the Rabbi page. Don't ask a question on Shabbat. That's just rude. Anyway, wait till after Shabbat and then ask your question because he ain't going to answer it on Shabbat. And that'll just save you some frustration. Unless you're just like, I really got to ask him this and I might forget it later. Then do it. But just don't expect an answer on Shabbat because that's not nice. Anyway, reserving himself for jurisdiction and only the most difficult major disputes. Shemot 1822 and verse 26 and Devarim 117. So now we see this Beit Dean as an extension of Moshe's judicial power, i.e. the seat of Moses. That'll be important in just a second. Judges were to be able men, such as those who fear God, men of truth, hating unjust gain. Shemot 1821. Wise men, understanding and full of knowledge, which is Torah. De Deuteronomy, Devarim, 113. 
They were charged to hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother and the stranger. Not to be partial in judgment, but to hear the small and the great alike. Fear no man, for judgment is God's. Devarim 116-17 According to Torah, the judges had significant authority, even speaking under the authority of Hashem. Commenting, yes, that's right. According to the Torah, the judges had significant authority, even speaking under the authority of Hashem. I.e. Asher Kishanu Bemitzvotav Vetsivanu. Okay, like Hashem has sanctified us and commanded us. Yeah, they have the ability to make that. Commenting on Devarim 17, 1 through 10, Frank Kruzman in his book, The Torah, says the following. The conclusion we must draw from this is absolutely clear. The decisions of the court have the same significance in the same rank as the things that Moshe himself said, which means Devarim itself. The Jerusalem High Court, which is the Sanhedrin, by the way, rendered decisions with the authority of Moshe, and it had it his jurisdiction. It spoke in the name of Moshe and extrapolated forward the will of Hashem, the development and structure of Deuteronom Deuteronomic law cannot be separated from institution of the Sanhedrin. According to Devarim 17.8, this court speaks with the same authority as Devarim itself, the authority of Moshe. Going on, these Torah commandments have given rise to the Jewish idea of the oral Torah. This is precisely why the rabbis seem to have no problem saying, for instance, Hashem commands us to light the Sabbath lights. When, in fact, there is no such commandment in the written Torah. This commandment comes not from the written Torah, but rather from the judges whom the written Torah appointed to decide such matters. They rule as it were on behalf of Moshe and thus in their interpretation of the law on behalf of the father himself. The Mashiach seems to agree with this level of authority when he admonishes us and the Talmudim in Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Then Yeshua addressed the crowds and his Talmudim, the Torah teachers and the Perushim. He said, sit in the seat of Moshe. So whatever they tell you, take care to do it. The master seemed to have no qualms regarding the authority of the rabbis. In fact, how could he? They were simply fulfilling the express will of the divine. And by the way, the rabbis are the one who came up with the concept of Mashiach because Mashiach is codified in Torah, not by name, but by some of the things that we should know of him. Like, number one, he's going to come riding on a donkey if we're not worthy of the redemption. And if we are worthy of the redemption, he's going to come on the clouds of glory. And it talks about Mashiach being um, slain for the sins of Israel. Okay, it has like all sorts of stuff about Mashiach and how he's supposed to, you know, do war with Gog and Magog. And, you know, there's Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, you know, Mashiach ben David has the power of eternal life in him. And so there's all of that. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so 
Yeshua said, I'm the life and the resurrection. So he was Mashiach ben Yosef operating as Mashiach ben David as well to a certain extent. And this is what we're currently awaiting his return as, which which is when we're going to Bezrat Hashem see him soon on the clouds of glory. But anyway, the Talmud doesn't come to a conclusion that the Mashiach is supposed to build the temple all at once when he comes the first time. And yes, I did say first time because there's two comings. How are you going to have two Mashiachs come at the same time? Well, Yeshua did it, and he's still going to come again. And this is why we kindle the menorah and the temple in two parts. We kindle a few of the branches, go away, do something else, and then we come back and kindle the rest of it. Redemption happens in two parts. So this is why the Korban Tamid, the daily burnt offering lamb that we offer in morning and afternoon, is one lamb, but it's in two parts. And this is why there are two akidot the Akedah of Yitzhak and the Akedah of Yeshua. But Yeshua was offered at both of them. So what does that mean? Because Yeshua is that ram that was offered in place of Isaac. And the word for ram is Ayil, which is Aleph, Yod, Lamet, which rearranges to Eli, Aleph, Lamet, Yod, which is Eli is my God, as in Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeshua was trying to help us connect the dots there. All right, so that's the oral Torah the rabbis gave us, Mashiach. And so therefore, if you're against the rabbis, you're against Mashiach. And furthermore, it's written in the Talmud that a Midianite, or it's written in the Torah that a, Midian, or a Moabite is not allowed to enter the assembly, i.e. a Moabite is not allowed to become a Jew. But in the oral Torah, it says a Moabite-s, like a female Moabite, is allowed to become a Jew, which is where Ruth has her way in to the Jewish people who has David, who if Ruth wasn't accepted, then David can't be accepted. And if David can't be accepted, Yeshua can't be accepted. So you have no Mashiach if you have no rabbis. Anyway, call no man rabbi, though. What does that mean? Well, there's a video coming out for that. Stay tuned. The P Judaism on YouTube. Get you some. All right. Page 14 of the Halakha says, Halakha was historically transmitted in oral fashion. That's right, orally. And as Zippor Aish brought down the the Firebird Avenger, she said, yeah, you mean like the Basora, the Gospels? Because they were oral until they were written down. And I was like, you know, we were kind of here and you just went like way up there and we were just trying to stay down here and be nice to everybody. But apparently you just, you don't care. So you just went there. And I was just like, what is wrong with you? You need to get some help. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I said that I, I, it was a joking thing. And obviously we were in person. So she was able to see me joking. But you probably can't see me joking through the podcast. I realized that I'm going to have to work on being seen while I'm podcasting like Tony Stark did in Avengers Endgame. But anyway, it says after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., and the subsequent exile of the Jewish people from Israel, the rabbis retreated to Yavne and began to pin Jewish halacha in an initial work called the Mishnah. Later rabbis completed this teaching, developing what is called the Talmud. The Talmud is comprised of the Mishnah, first century writings, and the Gemara, this is a footnote, is 6th century writings. So the Talmud is a volume of rabbinic writings, 
with the express purpose of developing a proper halakha for Yisrael. So there you go. Also important to note that in the Mishnah Avot, it says this. Opening up my sitter. Consider this. Jabroni. No, I don't, I don't mean to call y'all a jabroni. I just like that word, jabroni. For those uh, wrestling fans, y'all know what jabroni is. <laughs> anyway. Wow. So if you have your sidur on your minka for the Shabbat, uh, right before your third meal, you have what's called the Pirkei Avot. It says this. Uh, it says, Moshe received the Torah. This is chapter 1, section 1. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai, transmitted it to Yehoshua. Yehoshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly. They, the men of the great assembly, said three things. Be deliberate in judgment. Develop many tamadim. Make offense for the Torah. Footnotes. The term Torah includes the written law, Torah, Sheb, Ketav, i.e. the five books of Moshe, and the accompanying oral Torah, Torah Shebet Al-Peh. The interpretation of the text as divinely handed down to Moshe in its entirety and expounded by successive generations of sages. Moshe received the Torah from God at Sinai in full view of all the people. The term me Sinai, which is from Sinai, means from God who appeared at Sinai. Moshe expounded the Torah to them during the 40 years of their wanderings through the desert. And before he died, he transferred the tradition to Yehoshua to ensure its perpetuation. The men of a great assembly, it says this is a group of 120 sages led the Jewish people at the beginning of the Second Temple era, included the last prophets among them, Ezra, Mordecai, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, men. So when people say, I don't want those traditions of men, why are you reading their prophecies? You better throw out Haggai, you better throw out Zechariah, you better throw out Malachi, you better throw out Ezra, who Ezra, by the way, was the man. So if you don't want the traditions of man, your Bible is is a problem. But anyway, I digress. That was a flag on the play because I should not have even gone there. I'm, I, I would say I'm not sorry. I mean, I would say I'm sorry, but Freudian slip, I'm not sorry. Tired of it. Okay. As the sages put it, this, the assembly restored the crown of the Torah to its pristine splendor. They laid the foundation of the liturgy edited several of the scriptural books, provided for the intensified study of the oral Torah, and enacted many ordinances designed to prevent laxity and observance of the mitzvot, and the seyag la Torah, a fence, a protective fence, is enact provisions and cautionary rules to safeguard against the transgression of the laws of the Torah itself. For example, the rabbis forbade even the handling of certain utensils on the Shabbat, which is the word mukze. So if you ever see mukze, it's certain utensils you they don't want you even handling on Shabbat. Don't even look. Well, he didn't say don't look at it. Let's not add to. 
let's not add to the rabbis here, but uh, don't handle these items. Don't don't pick these up. Don't use them. Lest one use them to perform forbidden labor or perform a labor forbidden by the Torah. So mukze, if you ever see that word, that's what that's about. I would like to throw out one of the most popular things of today is don't drive on Shabbat. Well, I want to bring up what about what is the definition of the don't drive that you shouldn't do on Shabbat? Shabbat is not the time to go joyriding. Shabbat is not the time to drive to the mall. Shabbat is not the time to drive to a restaurant. Shabbat, show sure enough, ain't the time to drive to work. Okay? So this is why drive to Shabbat is a fence around a fence because, number one, the Sanhedrin never told us not to drive. They said don't travel beyond a Shabbat's walk on the Shabbat. So how about that? There's a certain distance you're allowed to walk on Shabbat. So there's something. But anyway, uh, when you think about not driving on Shabbat, if you tell people not to drive on Shabbat, ain't no way in the world unless they break another violation that they're going to drive themselves to work, to a store, to a restaurant, or joyride around the whole entire Metroplex. However, most of us Lepidniks, okay, we drive to Shul. We drive to other Lepidnik homes to fellowship. So if that's wrong, I don't know what to say. Because on Shabbat, Aren't you not supposed to forsake the assembling of the saints? Slika, aren't you not supposed to forsake the assembly of the Zadokim, of the Hasidim? And then, which is the same thing as saying, forsake not the assembly of the saints. I just had to get fancy with the Hebrew. Also, if your family's sitting at home, keeping Shabbat, who are you going to keep Shabbat with? You've been with your family all week. They're probably tired of you. They probably want to see their friends and be like, I'm so glad to be away from my Ima and Abba. Oh, my gosh. In my case, I'm super excited to see my Ima and my Abba. But I digress because I'm a grown man and I don't live with my Ima and Abba. But I imagine if I live with them, I'd be like, man, I'm so glad to get away from them and go see my teachers. Oh, my gosh. What are we talking about today? Anyway, and also... You got to have fellowship in the community because you're atonement for each other. Because through all of your little uh, challenges or through all of your beautiful uh, iron sharpened iron going on, you're making atonement for yourself. So this is why there are people you struggle with. You're like, I can't stand that person. They annoy me so much. And Hashem's like, you're welcome. Because you're going to learn how to be kind to someone who's not kind to you. You're going to learn how to love somebody that you don't feel like loving right now. Because what's love got to do with it if the person loves you back? That's just paying a person back. But when you have to love someone who's hard to love, that's where you're looking at you truly being a person who is a lover. You truly have, you know, some kindness in you. So there's that because... I mean, it's, it's cool to be nice to somebody who's nice to you, but what about being nice to somebody who's mean to you? That's when your medot starts showing up. And when your medot starts showing up, you better hope they look pretty. And if not, Hashem is like, you're welcome because I have you coming together in this community and you may think they're a ragtag community or a motley crew or a bunch of uh, bench warmers, 
But uh, they're a bunch of get you sums. They're a bunch of fired up, better watch out type people, you know, because they be bringing it. You know, who these days are keeping Shabbat anyway? So I go to guess that there's a small group of people who are doing that. So you should be glad that your Mishpachah is showing up for Shabbat. Much less they know what a Sidur is. They know, you know, what the Shammai is. If if you got a community that's has a Beit Deen, they're doing the Shema, they know what a Sidur is, and they're showing up for Shabbat, what more do you want? Just want to throw that out there. And this is not aimed at anybody. And while I'm talking about this, Captain Yisrael did a whole ridiculous backflip drop kick roundhouse kick to the face on everybody just came in the room and drop kicked everybody and some people were like oh no he was talking to me because i talked to a gentleman after shul he was like oh man rabbi was talking to me because i was i was worried about driving on shabbats and then i, I was realizing what i was what i was wrong i was like well you're gonna have to get in line because he was talking to me because he was talking about the fact that you learn more Torah and you're going to start being like more angry and upset. So you're going to have to like refine your dope. And I was like, yeah. So if you really want to start a contest, I can tell you he was talking to me. And so I bring all this up to say, <laughs> putting myself out there, you know, just because that's how that just went down, that we can't ever afford to think whoever is on the platform giving the drosh is talking specifically to somebody even as i'm saying this right now you know who my audience is you person listening to this and whoever's in earshot of this that's who i'm talking to i'm aimed at you yes targets of sight and prep day has locked on all of my repulsor beams to you okay because we have to get out of this mentality oh he was speaking about so and so oh my gosh because there's this one thing that we talked about, Shem Ras Halashon, guarding of the tongue. So, yeah, like, what's up with that, huh? Like, you're you're breaking a little opening for some gossip to happen. Because you're like, well, I don't know if he was talking about so-and-so or not, but da-da-da-da. When really the whole time the, the message was coming straight to you just to make sure you're okay in that area. Because... When the drosh goes out, it's buffet style. Some people need those carrots. Other people don't want those carrots. Okay, but everybody wants to holla. So anyway, uh, well, if you don't, please pass it to me because I'll gladly take it. Not that I like holla or anything, but just saying, you know, if anybody wants to bake a whole loaf or two and uh, holla at your boy, you know, on Shabbat, you know, even throw it at me, you know, that's cool. I'll take it, you know. Anyway, I keep my hands washed all the time, ready to go. I'm just, I'm playing. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Okay, I do wash my hands a lot, but not in preparation for holla. Because there's a different way that I wash my hands when I prep for holla. Because that's just how I get down. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. Because we'll talk about some more halakha. Because I have halakhic segments now on the parasha go. The parasha getting organized. Parasha game on. So uh, this will conclude our halakhic portion of Chaye Sarah, Oral Torah, Beit Din, and where it all came from, Baruch Hashem. All right, on to our Shabbat gleanings. So currently in Parsha Chaye Sarah, previous Shabbat was the Shabbat of Parsha Vayera. 
probably one of the most epic uh, tour portions uh, for me this year so far. All of them continue to be more epic. I just feel like such a uh, a growth spurt happened in the spirit world. And uh, lots of pruning has gone down. So that's cool. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so I was just minding my own business. No, I wasn't. On Shabbat and uh, trying to get it in, as I say. Uh, just studying because, you know, when you have Shabbat, this is the only time of the week that you have an extra light available to you to glean from the word of God. So, yes, you need to sleep. Yes, you need to eat. Yes, we need to dive in. But don't slack on your fellowship time. Don't slack on your Torah study time on Shabbat. You're going to get an exponential return on your Torah study during Shabbat that you would get when you try to Torah study during the week. The Shabbat was literally made for Torah study. So if you're not capitalizing on that, I want to encourage you to do so now. Because one of the things is there are elements in our community where people have spaces that they can host people, but, you know, they are just like, okay, so I don't know what that looks like. And there's people who love being hosted because they facilitate things. Yes, I'm talking about myself. Um, and I like helping people study. I like helping people source up. I like helping people, you know, connect dots and all sorts of things like that. So when you take all these different elements and there are people who are like really good cooks and they always have like a truckload of food for some reason. And it's just like, well, put this together. You have a person who loves cooking and they have a lot of food. You have a person who loves tour study. Then you have a person who wants to host and be hospitable. And then you have people who want to be hosted and, and uh, receive that hospitality. Line those dots up. So try to get some some circulations going to where you have people coming to your house and you can bless them by uh, hosting them. And then they can bless you by sharing Torah, because one of the things you want is Torah in your home. That is in Pure of Votes somewhere. Oh, my gosh. Can't believe I'm going to go try to go find this. But Hashem, may you help me find this. Pure of Vote. Let your home be a home of Torah study. Hmm, where is that? Uh, chapter five, maybe. Mm -mm -mm. Chapter six, where is that at? Let's see. Um, Greatest Torah, all the world, all that is called by my name, indeed it is for my glory that I have created it, formed it, and made it. All that the Holy One, blessed be He, created in this world, He created solely for His glory. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's uh, Mishnah Vote 611. I was reading this verse somewhere. Uh, this section. Oh yeah, here's my favorite Mishnah vote five twenty three. Yehuda ben Tema says, "Be bold as a leopard, light as an eagle, swift as a deer, and strong as a lion to carry out the will of your Father in heaven." Tab. 
uh, because we're going to talk about that with the Akira because that's my main gleaning I want to make sure I bring down on this podcast. Um, there was a thing about the let your home be a home for the feet of sages. Looking for the sages, flipping the pages, about the rock for the ages, blessing the rock of ages. Okay. Um, four types of students, four types of students, except for the sages. Bet that's related to the parable of the soils. Uh, ten things created at the eve of the Shabbat. Ten utterances. Repentance, good deeds. In this world. Okay, when your enemy falls, don't be glad. That ain't good. Um, where are we at? Come on, come on. Whoever fulfills the Torah despite poverty ultimately will fulfill it in wealth. Mishnah vote four uh, eleven. So that's cool. I mean, I need some of that. Uh, meticulous in Torah study. Three crowns. Be humble in spirits. Um. Let's see, given a study, do not separate yourself from the community. Wow. Whoever honors the Torah is himself honored by people. There's that. Oh, man, I'm in chapter three now. Working my way backwards. Where was this? Okay. We can do it, Hashem. I just ask you for help here. Uh, Where did I see it? I mean, I was sitting here. And I was sitting at the Odenic table and I saw this, so I did not bookmark it. Again, do not separate yourself from the community. That's chapter 2, verse 5. It's interesting. Hmm. Set the teacher upon yourself. Judge favorably. There we go. Oh, bless you, Hashem. Oh, my goodness. My little eyes are just... Adjusting. <laughs> All right, so this is in chapter one. Um, let's see. I think it. Uh, let me let me just start with uh, the top of the page. So, Pirkei Avot one four, Yose Ben Yoazer, leader of Zereda. And Yosef ben Yochanan, leader of Jerusalem, received the tradition from them. Yosef ben Yoazer, leader of Zereda, says, Let your house be a meeting place for sages. Sit in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. 
All right, let's let them fly. Come buy milk, water, wine without money. You who thirst. Uh, Yeshiyahu 55. Uh, let's talk about blessed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be they will be filled. Um, the word dust of the feet. That's the definition of a talmud. They're after the dust of the feet of their rebbe. What is a rebbe? One who is a teacher of the word of Hashem and they have been ordained by Hashem. So we have our Rabbi Griffin. So therefore, uh, followers of Rabbi Griffin are considered to be in the dust of his feet. And so uh, there's that. And so let your house be a meeting place for sages. And so you have this idea of the sages being the transmitters of Torah. So one of the things you can do on Shabbat to enrich your life is have the Torah sages of the shul come to your house, help you with and lead you in Torah study. Uh, should that be something that is available? You know, this is why inviting people over if they're available to do that and just sit, learn from them, you know, and. You know, it's not an arrogant thing or puff themselves up kind of thing. You know, I got to sit down with a gentleman and we tabbed up his Sador, you know, so he can follow along with the Shakarit service on Shabbat. So that was like really cool. And just giving him, you know, the Hebrew to the, the English of the prayers that we pray. And so whenever I speak in Hebrew, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about because there are parts of the prayer we do in Hebrew. And there's parts we do in English. So there's all that. So. Uh, dust of the feet here in uh, section four says sit in the dust of their feet, which is attend to their needs. That's Rav. So if they're thirsty, grab them a cup of water kind of thing like that. In Mishnaic times, the teacher sat on a bench and his pupils sat on the ground. Thus, Yose ben Yoazer exhorts us to become loyal disciples of the sages. And, um, you know, for the sake of tooting my own horn, because I am Shomer man, I guess, uh, you know, don't be afraid to be a Talmud, you know, uh, to have a person that you really glean and learn from. And I say that very cautiously because I don't want you to feel like the person who you think or treat as a sage or as a Torah scholar is like they know it all and they're never wrong. J trust me, I joke about things all the time. And sometimes people are like, wait, what? And I'm like, that, that was a joke. And they're like, oh. And it's just kind of like, OK, so like it's not putting people on a pedestal, but it's giving yourself another uh, in route to Hashem, so to speak. So if you know someone loves to throw down, let me go ahead and name them out for you. Uh, Dr. Sakal, that's Yishai. Uh, and just because I name these people, that doesn't mean like, oh, man, I don't like that person or I love that person. Oh, let me go find them. OK, that doesn't mean that. But, you know. As, as it organically happens, you know, try to, you know, talk to people before you just go invite them over, you know, have Derek Eretz first, you know, manners and, you know, do these people even know you? Do Are they comfortable with you? You know, uh, do you have a fellowship with them? You know, and uh, is your place appropriate, you know, for such people? Because cause, uh, if you're a single woman, you don't invite single men to your house. That That's awkward. Uh, you know, things like that. Just kind of be above reproach. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, you know, so you got Dr. Call. We got the incredible Talmud, who's now Professor Talmud. Uh, that's Mikael. You got uh, Zeke and Yosef, you know, Hadavar there. And you got, uh, you know, Stav Soldat, the Winter Soldier. You know, you have, um, who else we got? We got a uh, Hawk Ayin and Zolan. That's David and uh, Yosef. You know, so they're 
they like to throw down. We got uh, Ishnatov. He loves to throw down. So, you know, if you ever want to have, you know, a study go on. We got Luco Cage. He loves facilitating things. That's Moshe. And, uh, you know, he he has a very beautiful uh, heart for Hashem and like really uh, the essence of Yeshua and, and being able to uh, have that openness for that environment for people to to be if you're going to chunk some things he basically long story short he gives you a solid foundation to chunk it from so that's how we're going to put that because i mean it's it's really cool uh, i've gotten to go over to his house a couple of times on a shabbat and i mean it's awesome because it's just like what else bring it you know chunk this did you consider this and like all these little connecting points that help tour study just be so legit like he does that. So that's cool. Um uh Ish Pela, that is Shlomo. Uh he 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 drops bombs, you know. Um who else we got? Um we got uh Totak, which is Yehoshua Waybright. And uh for that fact, we got Toshia, who is uh Joshua Wright. Uh he they throw down, you know, they bring bringing some serious uh, fire. So those are a few people you can think about inviting them over, you know, and um, things like that. Take into consideration, lots of us have wives. And so that's a that's a logistic meeting that has to happen first. So it's not that we don't like you or our wives don't like you, but it has to be conducive for the house because Shalom Bayi. All right. So with that being said, more gleanings from Shabbat. Just throwing out that pure chaos vote about letting your house be house for sages and uh, try to facilitate more tour study on Shabbat. Whatever you can do, uh, play the podcast, play the Aliyah day, you know, uh, all sorts of things. Anyway, uh, oh, and while I'm at it, at the Oneg, once you finish your food, this is a perfect time to tour study until we wait for the Birkat Hamazon. So if you have one little book or if you have pictures of books that you've taken, this is a great time to showcase all that. So um, break some Shabbat tables, if you will. All right. Anyway, on to my first gleaning. This is all Akedah related. Akedah, paraphernalia, to fill you. Hopefully it's going to heal you. All right. So Rabbeinu bop you. Okay. Bop. He just gonna bop you right on the head. Uh, that's that's our new name. Shouts out to Pela 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 Pela. Hey, all right. Anyway, Rabenu bop you. Okay, formerly known as Rabbi Agouge. Uh, he says in Bereshit twenty two thirteen, Vayar vehine ayil. Okay, so just looking at that real quick, we have. The first letters of each of these words, Vav, Vav, Aleph. This is a Met speaking now, Shomer Man style. Uh, the Gematria Vav, Vav, Aleph is 13, which is the word Echad, which is one. And you have Ahava, which is love. So when it says, and he saw, and there was a ram, the first letters of each of those words have the word Ahava and the word uh, Echad. So there's something about the love of Hashem and something about the oneness of Hashem that is seen when you look at the ram. Could this be why Yeshua says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Or on the day that Hashem's name is one, Echad, 
that's when Yeshua returns. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, uh, it goes on in Rabbeinu Bapia over here. He says, the ram was one of the 10 things that were created on the original sixth day of creation at twilight, according to Avot 5-6. Boy, pre Avot tearing it up. All right. This is why this animal was called Ayil instead of Kevis. That's why it was called a ram instead of a lamb. It's important to note, because I want to bring this out. Like many people say the lamb of God who was slain before the foundations. And it's like, but it wasn't a lamb that was offered. It was a ram. Okay, Mr. Solo Scriptura, just sit down for a second. Because what's an ayil? What is an ayil? It's a kevis that is grown. Because a kevis in its first year is titled kevis, which is lamb. But when it grows up and it's like, I don't know, like 30 or 33 or 37 or something, you call it an ayil. Normally, when the Torah refers to these types of animals in connection with their being used as sacrificial animals, they are always referred to as kevis or kevisim, b'nei shana, which is a one-year-old sheep. The word kevis suggests that this animal, when offered as a sacrifice, is a kuvas, kuvas or kevos, which literally means a suppression which is it suppresses the sins of the Jewish people. So, yes, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God that suppresses the sins of the world, that's a kevis, which is a baby ayil. This is why Yeshua was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when he was in ayil status as opposed to a kevis status. Because it was hine el Yeshua T when he was a baby, but it was hine the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world when he was a grown man. Going on to say, when this animal grows to maturity, it is known as Ayil. When it is only a day old, it is referred to as Kevis. As we know from Leviticus twenty-two twenty-seven, when an ox, a sheep, or a goat is born, etc. It uses the word shore and it uses the word Kevis. Shore, baby ox, Kevis, baby goat or sheep. All right, another, okay, this is why the Pesach or the uh, the Yom Kippur goat can also be called a kevis. So a grown Yom Kippur goat is called an ayil. That is right. Get you some of that. Because Mashiach was a Pesach and a Yom Kippur sacrifice all at the same time because he was offered in a place where there was no time or space because the place he was offered on was called Hamakom, which is where Mount Moriah exists. So any of those offerings that are brought on that mountain, which is why we don't offer anywhere else besides that mountain. They're offered in Hamakom, which is in a place where time and space are null and void. So when you're offering your offerings, you're offering them outside of space and time. So it's interesting to note that when we're praying, we're praying outside of space and time. This is why our prayer is called a prayer closet. When we go into prayer, so let's go into our prayer closet and shut the door because you got to close your portal. Okay. Dr. Sakal knows about you go through a portal, you close it. You open a portal, go through it, and you close it. Okay. Like close the door behind you because you're in a different dimension. That's your prayer. That's why it's important for us to take words with us when we return to Hashem, as it says in Hosea chapter 14. Because when you take words with you, you're taking the Torah with you. If you take the Torah with you, you're taking the foundation of creation, the firstborn of all creation, the visible image of the invisible God with you and all of that. Anyway, got to be bound up with the word of God. 
And it says, another reason why this ram, which was sacrificed as a burnt offering, was called Aiel, is the similarity of this word. With the word, Ayelet Tashachar. Mm, now we're talking Psalms 22. Yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at my hands and feet, they mauled me like lions. Like that's all in Psalm 22. And this is what Esther said when she was on her way to King A-Town. Peace up A-Town down. Okay, that's King Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus. Okay. Uh, she was on her way to him and the Holy Spirit departed from her. And she said that. She said this Tehillim 22 passage. And this Tehillim is called Ayelet HaShachar, which is the ram of the morning which is what the Akedah is. But the only problem with it is that the ram got caught in the thorns and it didn't get offered until around Minka time. This is why Yeshua was offered with a crown of thorns at Minka time. Now, going on to say, a complimentary name applied to Knesset Yisrael. Ayelet HaShachar is another name for Knesset Yisrael. And Knesset Yisrael is the community of Israel, the Jewish people, says this is the spiritual concept represented by the Jewish people. See Psalm 22.1. Allegorically speaking, this ram represents Israel, which receives its spiritual input via shachar, which is the morning, okay, like shacharit, morning prayer, which protects its generation after generation due to the merit accumulated by Abraham as a result of his having bound his son. The word describes something which precedes the light of the morning. God preceded everything in this world. Israel receives its spiritual and material input from such prehistoric sources. In other words, why do we ever hear Isaiah 53 is about Israel and not the Mashiach? And why do we ever hear that it was Mashiach that is offered on the altar, but yet it's likened to Israel because we're bound up together in this word, I yield, which is the ram. And did I mention, I yield, if you rearrange it, rearrange it to Eli, which is my God. So my God is the, the full body of Israel, which is the Mashiach. This is why Mashiach is called a body of many members that escalated way too quickly. Hope everybody's okay. Moving on over to the Shodaf Pinkus. All right, Shodaf Pinkus is ridiculous because when you read, um, ma, 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 na, na, na. I don't mean to say that like that, but uh, bear sheet 22, bear sheet 22. Anybody got a bear sheet for 22? Can you bear a sheet for 22 people? Okay. Can I borrow a sheet for 22 people? How are you going to have 22 people use one sheet? I don't know. This is me rambling. All right. So when you read bear sheet 22, though, talks about the Akeda. Let's read because when you read this passage, I'm going to read it in Hebrew. And then we'll read it in English and then we'll read this commentary. Okay. Verse one. Vahi achar hadvarim haele veha Elohim Nisa et Abraham vayomer elav Abraham vayomer hineni vayomer kach na et bincha et yechidka asher rahavta et yitzchak 
ולך לך אל ארץ המוריה והעלהו שם לעולה על אחר ההרים אשר אומר אליך. באנגלית, Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Here am I. And he said, Take your son, please, your favored one, Yitzhak, which is also translated as your only begotten son, whom you love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Yochanan 3.16, but I digress, and to go to the land of Moriah, which is the place called Hamakom, because Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount, and it's in Hamakom, which is the place, which is a name of God. I digress. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will appoint to you. It's important to note. Veha Alehu Sham Leola. If we look at that phrase, bring him there as an offering. I was getting all out of whack with my screen over here. So jump from my other suit to my other suit. I need a teleportation suit, teleportation suit. Like that would be totally like legit. Mm. Okay, verse two. Because I want to look at this Hebrew here. Because this is going to tie in, pun intended, because it's an Akida. It's going to tie in to what this real meaning of this verse says. It literally says, Veya Alehu Sham Leola. And the word ve'alehu comes from the word ola, which means uh, to ascend or to climb or to rise. And then when you look at ve'alehu, it's translated to and offer him. And we would think it means offer Yitzhak. But the him is not necessarily specified here so if that sounds borderline crazy or if that sounds over the line crazy then stand by because here we go with show enough pinkus this is on page one he says in this week's parsha parsha Vayera, it behooves us to explore the mon the monumental ordeal of akidat yitzhak it was, of course, the tenth and final ordeal Avraham Avinu was subjected to by Hakadosh Baruchu, as the Mishnah teaches us. A vote five three, Avraham Avinu was subjected to ten tests, and he passed them all. You mean Avraham was a ten out of ten? That ain't bad. That ain't bad. According to Rashi and the Rambam, Akidat Yitzhak, the binding of his beloved son Yitzhak was the tenth test. Their source is Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 31, i.e. Pearl K, chapter 31. This ordeal is described beginning in Bereshit 22.1. The following passage here is from Bereshit Rabbah 56.11, related to the passage of Bereshit 22.15. Where it says the Malak of Adonai called to Abraham a second time from Shemaim and said, by myself, I swear. So commentary says, what was the purpose of this oath? 
Well, after being subjected to the 10th test, he, Abraham, said to him, Hakadosh Baruchu, swear to me that you will not test me anymore from now on. Once again, this corroborates the assertion that the ordeal of the Akedah represents the 10th test. It was so difficult for Abraham that he beseeched HaKadosh Baruchu to swear to him that he would not be subjected to any more tests. HaKadosh Baruchu acquiesced with the Malak's declaration, by myself I swear. So yet, we know this angel is the Malak Hashem, which the Targumim say is Memtet. So now, Hashem, when he swears by himself, he speaks through Memtet. Yeah. Which is Mashiach, okay? So when Yeshua says, before before Abraham, I am, like, what? You know, I and my father are one. Now we can see that. Abraham said, I don't want to go through any more tests. Uh, well, check out this verse. Uh, this is from... Romanos, he got it Rome, chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Abraham operated in the sense of Hashem, I have nothing else to give you. I'm giving you my son. Please don't test me anymore because I don't have anything for you to test me with. I've given you everything by giving you my son. That's the code behind this verse about why Abraham said, you need to swear to me that you won't test me anymore. You can't test me an 11th time because there's nothing more that I can give you than my own son. And I'm willing to do that. Well, as we're about to find out, Hashem actually didn't ask him to offer his son. But since he went ahead and assumed that he should have and did as he should have, even though he didn't need to. Now, Hashem who did give up his son, he was just like, Abraham was willing to give up his son, so I'm giving up my son. So Shaul was like, well, if you look at the craziness of this all, because Shaul studied, you know, the Midrash Rabbah, before it was the Midrash Rabbah, because it was a bunch of oral traditions going around during his time, and that's who he studied under Gamaliel, who was a, a, a Jedi get you some of his day. Rabbi Gamaliel, by the way, is codified in Talmud, so you should probably, you know, be aware of that the more you know. Okay, so he's looking at this juxtaposition here. He's saying he who did not spare his own son, but actually gave him up. How will he not also graciously give us all things? I mean, we're gifted with every gift in the heavenlies, right? So, I mean, what does that mean? We have his son and that's everything. So Abraham understood that. Shaul stood that. So may we understand that. Now, show enough, Pincus goes on to say. So let us examine the original command. Verse one. And it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, he nay ni. Verse two. And he said, please take your son, your only one whom you love, Yitzhak, and go to the land of Moriah and bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains, I shall tell you. Gamara, Gamara, shouts out to the Chavinja Gamara, uh, Sanhedrin 89b. It says, Rabbi Shimeon Bar Abba said, the term na is employed exclusively for request. It is analogous to a human king 
who had to wage many wars and had one heroic warrior who won them all. Eventually, he faced a difficult battle. He said to him, I beg of you, request me in this battle so that they will not say that the previous ones were inconsequential. In similar fashion, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to Abraham, I have subjected you to numerous tests and you have, you have passed them all. Now pass this test so that they will not say that the previous ones were inconsequential. Now, I want to jump down to page uh, three, because the whole point here is Hashem did not ask Abraham or command Abraham to sacrifice his son. He requested him to be willing to. Because big picture, there is a ram that was created on the twilight of the sixth day, i.e. Arab Shabbat, the first Arab Shabbat. And this ram existed before the foundations of the world. And this ram was already slain. And it was the one that was going to be slain as the only begotten son when the Akedah happened, which is why there was a certain point in time that Hashem said, I want you to take your son, Yitzhak, to the mountain. Don't take a lamb. Don't take anything. Just take your son. Please. And Abraham, not being able to see the full picture, he says, Hashem is going to provide the ram. Uh, he asked us to come up here. So if it's you, it's you. Like, that's it. So Yitzhak was like, all right, Baruch Hashem, if it's me, I'm willing to do it. But yet when they get there, this ram from Arab Shabbat over here on the Twilight of Creation, uh, he came over here and was like, put me on the altar. Like, I got to get here because you're supposed to offer me. And when you offer me, it's going to be accredited to your son. So here's the beauty of us being willing, like, as we said, being swift as a leopard and, you know, quick to do Hashem's uh, will, that we have no idea what Hashem has waiting for us when we start to go beyond the letter of the law, when we start to be, we will do and we will hear. Like if Hashem says do it, like we're quick, we're ready to do it because he has something on the way to meet us in that mitzvah. This is why most things are called an appointed time. So when you make it to Shabbat, it's an appointed time. Something is appointed to meet you there when you keep the Shabbat. Hopefully it's a lot of aha moments and holla that you will share with a met. Okay, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to share. I mean, unless you want to. I mean, I'm not going to turn it down. You know, I'm not going to twist your arm or anything, you know. Okay, commentary. Yes. It's page three. It says on page three, the Ron. By the way, the Ron is uh, a piece of Jewish literature called the Jerashot Haran, which is the Drashas of the Ron, authored by Rabbeinu Nisim, one of our early scholars. So the Ron proceeds to substantiate his wonderful interpretation. After the ordeal of the Akedah was over and Yitzhak's life had been spared and the ram had been offered in his place, Abraham Avinu was critical of Hashem. Oh, man. Yerushalayim Tamu Tanit 10b. Rabbi Abba said that Rabbi Avin said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Abraham confronted HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is revealed and known to you, Master of the Universe, that when you instructed me to place Yitzhak, my son, atop the Mizbeach, I could have responded and said, yesterday, you told me that my offspring would be related to Yitzhak. 
Yet now you instruct me to sacrifice him as a whole burnt offering. Chasve Shalom. I did not do that. I conquered my Yetzirah to act according to your will. Because sometimes, you know, when Hashem commands us to do stuff, we're like, eh, I'm not really sure. That's called your Yetzirah. You got to kill it. Anyway, Abraham did. He says, I conquered my Yetzirah to act according to your will. May it be your will that when Yitzhak's descendants are in trouble and there is no one to break or to speak up on their behalf, you will speak up on their behalf. Hashem will see and recall for them the binding of Yitzhak. We just read Hashem will see. Like that's why the mountains call Adonai Yireh. Hashem will see. It is not Jehovah Jireh, a com common to uh, most translations. Many people say, oh, God's my provider. Mm. It's like, first of all, there are no J's in Hebrew. Second of all, it's Yireh. It's about sight. Hashem is going to see and it's not just because he's going to provide it's actually way deeper than that he's going to recall this just like he's going to recall the Akira when he looks up on the pierce marks of the Mashiach he's going to recall the Akira when he looks at the blood on the doorpost and Mitzrayim to uh, save and redeem the firstborn of those who are in covenant with him so this blood of the Akira and this mountain is what Hashem is going to see. So Adonai Yireh is connected to all that. Because all the offerings point back to the Akira, which is why when the blood of the offerings go up, Hashem will see. Because where do the offerings go up? From the place where Hashem will see, which is where the Akira was offered, which currently has the ashes of Isaac there. Anyway, it goes on to say, may you speak up on their behalf. Hashem will see and recall for them the binding of Yitzhak, their forefather, and you will regard them with extreme mercy. Thus, it is evident to the Ron that Abraham could have refrained from sacrificing Yitzhak. He merely had to remind HaKadosh Baruch Hu of his promise. For in Isaac shall your offspring be called. Notwithstanding, he fulfilled Hakadosh Baruchu's request. Accordingly, the Ron explains Hakadosh Baruchu did not issue the directive to sacrifice Yitzhak as a command, but rather as a request, because he said, "Kak na et bincha." Please take your son, and literally it says et bincha, your olive tav son, which we know is Mashiach. So there's that. So, in other words, when you take your son, please, you're going to take Mashiach because the ram is going to show up, which is Eli, because the Ayil rearranges to Eli, my God. So, that's what's going to ultimately happen. You're going to have to free him from the thorns first and then offer him, but that's cool. Okay. Haggadosh Baruch was asking Abraham Avinu to forsake what he had been promised, and Abraham complied without wavering or hesitating. So there's your don't walk by sight or walk by faith and not by sight. There's your go beyond the letter of the law. Because, you know, if Abraham went by the letter of the law, he would have like offered his son with nullifying what Hashem told him before. Because if he didn't have in mind, well, Hashem, you said my offspring are going to come from Yitzhak, but they can't come from Yitzhak if he's dead. So there must be something more to the picture. 
which is why it's so important for us to understand there's always something more to the picture. And we can't ever say, oh, man, that's completely wrong. Like, we can't listen to Rashi. We're going to have to completely go with Rambam on this one. And that's right. Rashi's wrong. Rambam's right. Well, sometimes Rashi's right and sometimes Rambam's wrong. And yet there's still more to the picture because there are parts of Torah that we're not even able to fathom and comprehend at this moment. So let us be like our father, Abraham, who just went beyond and was like, Hashem, I have no idea, but I'm willing to forsake what you've promised me. I'm willing to, uh, you know, bless is he who gives and bless is he who takes away. Like, I'm ready for that. So that's how we have to be. And so, uh, you know, here's the lose your life for if you really want to find your life, you should lose it, you know, for his sake. So when Hashem wants you to give up your life, sometimes it's like, man, I want to give up my Saturdays. It's like, give up your life and you'll find it. You'll find out you give up your Saturdays because you're going to keep Shabbat. You're going to have more stuff that you just weren't aware of in your life that's going to start popping out to you. And then, you know, you give up, you know, because I gave up calamari when I went kosher. And it was just like, man, you have no idea how amazing kosher food is. Like calamari, forget it. Like whatever. Like I thought I was giving up my life. And I did, you know. But compared to what I have now, I give up 10,000 calamaris. You know, not that I have any calamaris, but you know. So anyway, hopefully this has been an encouragement to you. Uh, with the help of Hashem. We shall return with more Chaye Sarah this week for the getting organized. But I feel like with uh, learning about the Mashiach and learning some Halakha and doing some Shabbat gleanings, that should be a pretty good start into the parasha for this week. So uh, Baruch Hashem, what do we know? And may we continue to stand on the word of God, await his calling, because, you know, as we're waiting on the final redemption, as we're waiting on Mashiach and gathering in divine sparks and really growing, growing, growing to the best of our ability in our personal lives, that uh, we have reached the status to where, you know, where were the children of Israel doing when they were waiting on Moshe to come down the mountain before they made the golden calf? They got antsy and then they, they killed Hor and then they were like, we're going to kill you too, Aharon. We need something. Moshe's not here. He's dead. And we know that Mashiach is not dead and we know he will surely come. So let's stand firm. Let's know that he's coming. He's on his way. And though he delay, we will still believe, which is us standing firm in Torah. This is why we're Avengers. We now have something to fight for because it seems like the redemption is further and further away, but it's actually closer and closer and closer. So fight well, fight your doubts. Take them out, you know, blow them up, blow up your temptations, blow up your, your sins, blow up your, your uh, deviations from the word of God. If you're tempted to do so, blow up the fact that there are things that want to draw you out from your community, blow up the things that want to make you go back to being a goy, like fight with all you got. So source up or suit up, source up and stay violent. All right, Brukashem. So, first thing we're going to talk about who and what is Mashiach. So, 
First of all, I just reposted on my social media platforms. That is Twitter, which is at Amet Lapide. And um, on my Facebooks, I have a Shomaran Facebook and an Amet Eliram Facebook. Just a quick note on Eliram. Eliram is my middle name. So I have, well, I guess it's kind of two first names if you really look at it. Because I'm Amet Eliram, Ben Mordecai. And uh, yeah, so anyway... Uh, Eliram is a node to my mother who gave birth to me and she named me the essence of that name Eliram which is my god is high and lofty so shouts out to the mom and uh, yeah so anyway that's where my Eliram name comes from for those who may have been interested and otherwise I'm Shomerman so Baruch Hashem. So on this post that I made on my accounts I posted what's probably going to be one of the most craziest 20 minutes of your life from Yosef Ha'emet. And I got this video from Dr. Sakal, who also has it posted on his page. And um, this is a Canada get you some uh, up north person who uh, just wanted to drop a video. He was studying and it was amazing. So I had to post it in there. He's going to say this statement. That's going to segue into my podcast here. That Mashiach is sowed and not halakha. That's right. The understanding of Mashiach and what that means and all that kind of stuff is all like, it's it's deep. It's sowed. It's not something that is pushat by any means. It's not something that you can halakhically determine. Now, what's interesting about that, that belief in Mashiach is halakhic, because what do we read in Rambam's 13 principles? I have a different Sidur here. Wasn't planning on sharing this, but it came into the back of my mind as I was thinking about things, because uh, we talk about this during the week, the 13 principles of our faith. Oh, you know what? I'm going to use my super suit. Uh, this is Yechezi over here, short for Yechezkiel. Name one of my flight suits, Yechezi. So stand by. I am going to look for the 13 principles of our faith. Where is that at? Six remembrances, 13 principles. Come on. All right. So it is literally principle number 12. It says, Okay, well, that's the first part of it. And then it goes on to say, um, hang on, lost my place. Okay, number 12. Baby, Yatamashiach, Animami. La da da, la da 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 da, la da 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 da, la da 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 da. Boy, 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 up. Okay. Anyway, that's enough of my singing for right now. Anyway. Um, in this number 12 principle, it says, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. 
And even though he may delay, nevertheless, I anticipate every day that he will come. Source. Make sure I got the right one. Habakkuk 2.3. For there is yet another vision about the appointed time. Literally, la moed. And it says, it will speak of the end and it will not deceive, though it may tarry, await it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, I don't have commentary on Habakkuk, but uh, he just dropped some serious knowledge on us right there. As far as this is what has been connected to anticipating the arrival of Mashiach and further commentary in the Siddur really goes into this. The Mashiach will come. We are to conduct our lives according to the Torah and remain faithful that Mashiach will come at the time deemed by God to be proper. This faith includes the principle that only the Davidic dynasty will provide the Messianic king. Some other commentaries on this say that if you don't have this belief, if you don't believe in the coming of Mashiach, which, by the way, the word for coming is also the word for return because Yavo means to come or return. But anyway, I digress. It literally goes on to comment that if you don't believe in that, then that's the epitome of not believing in the words of the prophets and not believing in the words of the Torah. So if you don't believe in Mashiach, you don't believe in the Torah and you don't believe in the prophets. That's pretty heavy. Because now, for those of us who came from Christianity, hopefully this is getting down into our uncomfortable places of uh, what about the people who reject Yeshua? And that's really where I want to take this podcast is to help us uh, get rid of a little bit more of our Roman uh, mentality. Because yes, it is Roman mentality thinking that because people don't believe in Yeshua, that they don't believe in Mashiach. Because we just saw right here the essence of believing in Mashiach is believing in the Torah and the prophets, i.e. the Tanakh. And I want to go ahead and pull out the gate while we're already out of it, that there are people who say that they believe in Mashiach, namely Yeshua, who don't believe in the prophets and the Torah. Well, how is that so? Well, there's a group of people that normally meet on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or whatever day of the week they choose. And proclaim that they're keeping the Sabbath when they don't believe we should keep a Sabbath, which is why they don't, uh, you know, refrain from working, uh, refrain from mundane things. They they uh, they cook. They make other people serve them because what happens after these services? They go to restaurants and make people serve them. And you're not supposed to have your servant or even your animals working on Shabbat. Much less, let's just remember the Shabbat is the seventh day of the week. And even in Espanol, they understand it's Sabado. So there's that. But anyway, so that happens. And this very group of people that abrogate the Torah, that abrogate the prophets, well, some of it, not all of it, just a few important parts of the prophets that tell us we should keep the Torah. Uh, they abrogate that. And that's a problem because... These very people proclaim to be saved. This idea, this mentality, and this agenda has come via Rome, the place where the Mashiach is hidden during this current exile. 
Mashiach is at the gates of Rome, just like Lot was at the gates of Sodom, just like Yosef was in Egypt, just like Moshe was in Egypt, just like Esther and Mordecai were in Persia. Should we go on? But anyway, you know, it's it's fitting the pattern for sure. However, this very group of people that proclaims this faith in this Messiah, they don't call him by his name, which is a problem. Because if we understand, going back to last week's parsha, well, at least on my podcast last week, well, maybe not on my podcast last week, but on my podcast, if not on my podcast, here. <laughs> let's just go let's just go with right now. We learned that when Adam was naming the animals, that when he names the animals, he gave uh he he saw with the eyes of Mashiach. So names are directly connected to seeing Mashiach or seeing with the eyes of Mashiach Slika. So if you're going to have a name, it's going to reveal an essence, it's going to reveal the nature and it's going to reveal a divinity, uh, a divine reflection in it. I.e., whatever Adam named the animals, it literally, that's the essence of that animal. You know, and it get, it tells you all about that animal when you see its name. And uh, Tr Rabbi Tonka Truck, Rabbi Trugman, brought down that, you know, this phrase was uh, was according to its name. Or he gave it its name. And when he's when he talked about that phrase, it was saying that uh, this the phrase is, has the same gematria as Mashiach. OK, so I'm all the way out of whack. So let me just go ahead and pull up that source real quick. All right, because I'm I don't like being sources hatred. I don't like being MSU, man, because it's messed up. People be making stuff up and messing up and I ain't got time for it. So let's see here, going through my Rolodex and I got this, boom, boom. All right, so just so we source this name thing out, the name and the essence of Mashiach, because we got to talk about, we got to talk about Jesus, okay? Because everybody's like, mm, his name is Jesus, that's his name. Girl, honey, child, you better call him now. You better call on Christ, you know, and it's like, oh, my word. So uh, it hurts me to say that, by the way. But just for the sake of this podcast, I am going to talk about it. OK, because. We need to know that the name Jesus is four steps removed from its original name, Yeshua. So this is why even if you go up to a Jew today who doesn't believe in Yeshua, who knows nothing about Yeshua, I might add. They say, oh, yeah, you mean Jesus, you know, of Nazareth? They just get real serious with it. You're like, whoa, no, I'm talking about Yeshua HaMashiach, HaNotsri, because he's from Nazareth, which is Nazareth, which is Netzer, which is, you know, the branch, because Mashiach is supposed to be a branch who comes from the branch. Because there's a play on words, Zamak and Netzer. Zamak is the branch. And then, you know, Zemek, Zamak, same thing, is related to Netzer, which is branch, which is the root of Nazareth. So the branch is supposed to come from the branch. And, uh, yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff there. But uh, Rabbi Trugman, though, this is what he says on the name thing with the equivalent of... Mashiach. Okay, 
So he says, in Bereshit 219, that was its name, which is Hu Shemo in Hebrew. That is 358. That is the same numerical value as the word Mashiach, meaning Messiah. So he goes into Rabbi Shlomo Karlebach, who talks about seeing with the eyes of Mashiach when he wanted to express how we need to see beyond the superficial appearances of this world to the inner essence of reality. That's what Adam did with the animals. He saw to the inner essence of their reality beyond their superficial appearance. It's like, I'm not going to call you a dog. I'm going to call, I'm not going to call you a fuzzy four-legged creature. I'm not going to call you something who uh, is super excited when I come home. Like I left you only five minutes ago and you thought I left you for six hours ago. And I'm going to actually call you Kalev which is a dog, which if you look at Kalev, then uh, not to be confused with Caleb or Kalev, the uh, the person, Caleb, but Kalev is a uh, like heart. A dog has a like heart of mankind. So this is why dogs are called man's best friend, you know, because they, they with you, they, they in there. They're like, you're the most craziest human being I know, and you're so funny looking. I love you. I love you, man. And that's why they always jump on you. They lick you. They're like, oh, my gosh, don't leave me. Don't ever leave me again. You went to the restroom, and I thought you went away. I thought you teleported and went somewhere, and I'm so excited to see you. If only we can get cats to be that way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, shout out to my cat because he is, I like him. He's cool. He's the size of a dog. But anyway, I digress. So when it comes to this essence of name, here's another thing you got to know about names. It says, where are we at here? Um, looking at my word here, there was something about the letters I was talking about. Hebrew letters. Here we go. Same, same person, Rabbi Trugman. This is on his uh, section called The Essence of Names. So for those Orchard of Delight users, The Essence of Names from Parsha Bereshit. And uh, for those who use his website, thetrugmans.com, you can check on there as well. Uh, it goes on to say here that there is Kabbalah and Hasidut assess the fundamental nature of each animal and identify the Hebrew letters. Okay, so here we go. So the Hebrew letters. They embodied the quintessential essence. This is the basis for all Hebrew words. The letters that form any name or word contain the very essence and divine life force animating that being or entity. Okay, so Yeshua currently is inanimated and lacking information to his essence when he's called by Jesus. Because if you take the name Jesus, it's pretty much the name Yeshua minus the Ayin is basically what it boils down to. So now you have taken away a combination of what it was, and now it's a different combination that lacks this crucial piece. So while I'm still on that track, when you look at the chemical... Uh, makeup of objects, for instance, water. Water is two hydrogens with one oxygen. If you take away the oxygen, you're going to have a hard time quenching your thirst drinking H2. Or if you took away the H2, 
you're going to be left with oxygen and it's still going to be hard to quench your thirst if you're just breathing the oxygen. By the way, H2 is flammable, but H2O extinguishes that which gets caught on fire that is flammable. So just from the simple fact of what you do with pieces of these elements, you create something completely different. And this is why with the name Yeshua, something completely different is created with Jesus. Okay, that also goes for the name Christ as well, because yes, it does mean anointed one. But when you look at HaMashiach, it means the anointed one. So this will clear up the confusions on Antichrist or false Christ, like false messiahs. Because when you say HaMashiach, you've transcended all of the nonsense. And you're like this guy right here, the one who is the word of God made flesh, the one who is what the prophet spoke of, you know, or who the prophet spoke of, Slika. I guess what too, because the prophet spoke of the word of God, you know, and that's Mashiach. So anyway, uh, yeah. So anyway, when you look at Yeshua, you know, it's got the Yod, the Sheen, the Vav, and the Ayin. Now, that is a certain combination of letters that has a certain essence. But if you take away the Ayin, you're left with Yeshu, which is what is used for May His Name Be Blotted Out. And shouts out to Captain Yisrael, a.k.a. Rabbi Griffin of Sar Shalom, Lapid, Get You Some Nation. He says... We should rejoice in that because when Moshe was on the mountain after the golden calf asking Hashem for forgiveness for all of B'nai Yisrael, don't blot them out, blot me out. Hashem said, no, I'm not going to blot you out. <laughs> Can't do that. But I will forgive them though. However, there's going to be one who comes after you that they're going to have to listen to just like they listen to you. I'm going to blot him out though for the sake of keeping everybody else. Because that's why Yeshua gets to go by Jesus today, because his name is getting blotted out for our sake. But there will come a day where his name is completely restored and renewed, because Yeshua is the only one, by the way, who can be blotted out and still exist. Yeshua is the only one who can die, but yet still be raised and resurrected. I mean, we can, but for perpetuality and the way that he's already resurrected, that's what we're awaiting on. Like... You know, so there's a resurrection that is to uh, to come for those of us who fall asleep. But currently, if any of us die and if we don't get resurrected, that's it. But Yeshua got resurrected, though, first before anybody else did. So anyway, just a little shouts out that he's the only one who can endure all of this, you know, and, and totally be like, but I'm here because he's still at the gates of Rome. He's still Mashiach. He's still opening blind eyes. He's still healing the sick, you know, and quote unquote, he's still raising the dead because we learn in the letter to Ephesus chapter two that, you know, when you're in disobedience, you're in death. When you are not walking with Hashem, you're you're dead. This is why Rabbi Griffin again, Aliyah Day, Chaye Sarah, Aliyah 1, 5780 brought up the fact that the wicked and their lifetimes are considered dead, and the righteous, even after their death, are considered alive. But let's drop into Ephesus, though, real quick. 
the Agarit, the letter to Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. What are trespasses and sins? Well, we got to go to Yochanan to talk about that. First, Yochanan, chapter 3, one of his letters that he wrote, he says in verse 3, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Number four or verse four. So again, it's first John chapter three, started in verse three. Now we're on verse four. Everyone practicing sin also practices lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. Uh-huh. Sin is lawlessness. So don't get you none of that because sin is lawlessness. Okay. First John three, four, uh, first John three, four holler anyway, because most people don't know that sin means to be without the law, which is to be without the word of God, which is to be without the Mashiach. Yep. So for those of us who sin and we all do, because if we think we don't, we're considered to be a liar. So that's why we have to confess. We throw away Mashiach. Ouch. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, not anything I intended to get into today. But anyway, uh, back to Ephesus chapter two, though, because we know sin is lawlessness. So now it says you were dead in your trespasses and sin, or let's put it with our new definition. You were dead in your trespasses and lawlessness. All right. Okay. So that's what happens with, uh, Yeshua. He raises us from the dead. He brings us back into the Torah which brings us into life, removes us from death and brings us into life. So this is why when we go to sleep, it's it's called one sixtieth of death. And so when we when our soul is restored to our bodies in the morning, because our soul leaves our bodies when we're asleep. Yep. Bet you didn't know that. Now you do. Um, yeah. So we experience one sixtieth of the resurrection. And that's why we that's why we start by saying Mode Ani. We gratefully thank you, Adonai, our God. So it's important to know that. And uh, yeah, so Brukashem. So that is something to take into account. So now let's look at if his name is being called Jesus, we're lacking what the Ayin is. I have my trusty little Sephirotiot on deck, hopefully. If I don't, I might have to go get it. Uh, I don't. I got to go get it. Okay, so stand by. I'm flying away now. All right, Burger Shim. Got to learn to keep my sources closer. Maybe I should podcast next to my bookshelf. That's a novel idea, Shomer man. All right. So this is the missing letter of Yeshua's name. Tell me if this clears up any of the malarkey. And that's what it is, malarkey, that exists with the Jesus callers. Oh, great. So that's not meant to be a slam. I know it was. But, you know, uh, as Iron Man said in the Age of Ultron, good talk. And everybody was like, no, it wasn't. Okay, anyway. 
The ayin, it does not speak. It only sees. Okay, so this letter already has to do with seeing and not speaking. So first thing. Second thing is, it is an I, which is ayin. The way to say I in Hebrew is ayin. Now, Sephirot goes on to say, close your eyes, open your mouth. Now try to see. That is the sound of ayin. Goes on to say, the ayin begins with a yod, whose tail is first extended down and then on an angle towards the left. It gradually thickens and continues on below the baseline. To the left of the yud, we draw a zayin. So right here with these two letters, you have the gematria of 17, which is the word tov in gematria, which is the small gematria of Yeshua, which Yeshua's gematria is 386. 3 plus 8 plus 6 is 17. You guessed it. So the letter ayin means Yeshua. It means tov. Who is Tov? Yeshua says there's only one who is Tov. There's only one who is good. Why do you call me good? So what are we talking about here? We're talking about Yeshua being the manifestation and visible image of the invisible God. Because we just talked about opening our mouth and trying to see. Well, how do you see what your mouth is saying? Your mouth, which is invisible words, have to take on a physical expression, which is why Shaul in the letter to Colossi says he is the image of the invisible. Hashem uh, or Yeshua here is the image of the invisible Hashem. Basically, you don't believe me? Good, because we're going to go there. Fly to Colossi. Verse 14. In him we have release of sins. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, now that we've covered that, that's the ayin, that's the yod and the zayin, which make a ayin. And it goes on to say, so next to this yod, we draw zayin with a very narrow body, which is then connected to the extension on the yod. It is important that the two heads of the ayin not touch one another. This Perhaps is because the ayin is a joining of two letters, the letter yod and the letter zayin. In the same way, the other letters result from the combination of two and three letters. Oh, yeah, like two or three witnesses. Each letter consists of two or three witnesses, just like each commentary to the Torah consists of two or three witnesses. So the letters, the commentary they are both two or three witnesses. Anyway, Yeshua got in, or Yochanan got into that, talking about who testifies of Yeshua and all that kind of stuff. So for those of you who know that verse, you can check that out. Don't have time to find it at the moment because this is ridiculous over here. And it goes on to say, and their respective discreteness must be preserved. So you got discreteness and preservation, sight, Tov, Yeshua, as his true essence, the, in, the visible of the invisible, namely the Torah of God, 
that is currently missing from the name of Yeshua when he is called Jesus. Because when people call him Jesus, their mentality and their heart are attached to that because you only say what overflows out of the abundance of your heart. Yes, that came down from Melek Shlomo, from Mishle, from Proverbs, King Solomon. He wrote that. So think about what's in your heart if you're going to call him Jesus and not call him Yeshua and erase his name and blot it out, which kind of a fringe benefit gives a testimony that he was blotted out for the sake that we didn't have to be just like the temple was blotted out so that we didn't have to be. So anyway, uh, so there's all that to really think about and take into account. So, uh, yeah, so that's first thing. Okay, now, from uh, Mr., uh, who is this homeboy? I keep wanting to say it's Kramer, and I want to make sure I'm right when I say that. Uh, yes, Kaim Kramer, Brukashem, brings down and the who, what, why, how, where, when, Mashiach book. Page 17. <laughs> Funny. Page Ayin. Because <laughs> now we know Ayin is the gematria of 17 because it's Yod and Zayin. If you have a Yod and you got a Zayin, you got an Ayin. All right. So he talks about who is Mashiach. He says, this section is going to describe the attributes of leadership as exemplified by Jewish leaders of the past. It forms the basis of what characteristics we must look for in the ultimate leader of all mankind the Mashiach. Mashiach is the leader of all mankind. He is where all of the 70 languages plus Israel come back into one, namely just like Mount Sinai, namely just like Shavuot with uh, Kepha and Yochanan and the other rest of the Talmudim and the 120 that were in the upper room and uh, all those Yehudim who came from all cross parts of the globe to where they were in Jerusalem. But anyway, so Mashiach is the leader of all mankind. And so right off the bat, we see here that in order to know who Mashiach is, we have to have previous examples that have exemplified what's called leadership. Things like Moshe being the king of Israel in the wilderness, being the one who connects the people to Hashem and teaches people the Torah. Moshe is the biggest example of who we have as Mashiach. There is a current Rebbe on record saying that Mashiach is a man. Don't don't doubt that. But he um, he is what they say. He's greater than Moshe. And greater than the patriarchs. Problem with that, when you really follow that to conclusion, Moshe was considered angelic. First of all, the patriarchs were considered literal chariots of God. So what are you talking about? Greater than Moshe, greater than the patriarchs. Like, if you put that together, you have an angel in a chariot. Oh, you mean like Ezekiel chapter one, the man who was sitting on the throne, like the chariot of God uh, and uh, surrounded by the angels. The the four coyote and something like that. You mean like what we pray in the morning blessings when we talk about uh, I don't are Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Zavot, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And all of that, Baruch Kavod Adonai Mim Kamo, which Legends of the Jews brings down saying this is when we crown Hashem in the heavenlies. Because that happens on a daily basis. That's why we pray these prayers during the Shakarit, the morning prayers, 
during the Shema because we're aligning the heavens and the earth so that Hashem's will and, and heaven is done on the earth. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Hashemayim, that kind of stuff. Anyway, page 17 is talking about the question, who is Mashiach has brought in its wake a plethora of answers, obviously. So one of the things that is said over here, uh, he says, so Mashiach, uh, what about the re reconstructionist Jews? Will Mashiach be palatable to Orthodox Jews? I'm on page 18 now. Or can reform and conservative Jews, Jewry is what they call it, Jewry, not to be confused with Jewelry. Uh, can they accept an Orthodox Mashiach? Will secularists accept religion as the answer? What are the Gentiles, especially those with a strong anti-Semitic leaning? Who will Mashiach be for them? Furthermore, Mashiach is described as poor riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Mighty fine. One would think that someone of Mashiach's status, the leader of all mankind, would parade down the street in a Rolls Royce or an open Cadillac stretch limousine. Can you imagine the reception of a world leader driving a valiant, a driving a valiant or a fiat, much less riding on a donkey? Good thing is we've seen that before. For those who were ready to receive him, they waved the lulavs and did the halal, because that's what you do when you wave the lulav. You do the halal. It's important to note that they would have had their lulavim before Pesach because you burn your lulav with the chametz on the day of the 14th of Nisan. Mashiach Yeshua came in to Jerusalem on a donkey before the 14th of Nisan. So people still had lulavs. So therefore, when they were waving their lulavs during this Passover time period, and they were doing the Hillel because that's when you say Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Hatzlichana, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. May, may you save us, prosper now, save now, like all that stuff. That's all there, you know, like, so it's not weird that they had their lulavs. It's like these were super spiritual people because they were getting ready to burn their lulavs with the hamets. And she was like, great, because I'm getting ready to put on, I'm getting ready to get put on a crucifixion stake. So burn your lulav, man, you know? So anyway, uh, continuing on page 18, Mashiach was created and prepared for his mission prior to the creation of the world. Pesachim 54a. Masekit Pesachim 54a, Talmud. Anyway, um, he cannot be chosen by man. Here he goes. He cannot be chosen by man, for he was designated for his mission by Hashem. Tag, bring in the very words of Mashiach himself from Yochanan chapter 6. Oh my goodness. This is what he says. Because man, right? Mashiach can't be chosen by man. Yeshua says in Yochanan 6.44, The Father is the one who sent me. No one, i.e. no man, no human, no person can come to me unless the father draws him to me and I will raise that person up on the last day. Let's just keep going. It is written in the prophets, i.e. like Yeshayahu, uh, Isaiah, Yehezekiel, Ezekiel, Yermiyahu, Jeremiah. They 
will all be taught by God. 54, I, Yeshua 54, 13. I don't have time to get into that commentary. would love to, but just if you can check that out. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. Everyone who listens to the father learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father. I tell you the truth. Whoever believes has eternal life. Notice he didn't say whoever believes in me, but he says whoever believes has eternal life. Let's just go ahead and double check that. Get into the interlinear Greek to me of this verse. Um, sorry for the rumbles over here. This is what it sounds like when you're throwing it down. Okay, so that's Yokanon 6, uh, 47. All right, so whoever believes has eternal life, but he didn't say whoever believes in me. Let's look at what the interlinear says. Truly, I say to you, the one believing has eternal life. Goodness gracious. Um, amen, amen, lego, haimim, ho, pistuon, eche, zoen, ionion, ionion. Literally, it just says, believing, pisteon, which is from the word pistis, which literally means to believe. And guess what word that relates to? Animami. That's right. 13 principles of our faith. What principle number was that? Where'd it go? I thought I just had this up. I got I got uh, suits everywhere. Okay. Which suit had you up? Okay. There we go. Uh, verse uh, 12. Anima mean 12. Okay. Mashiach says, whoever follows the 12th principle of faith, that person has eternal life. That's pretty much what he just said. Anyways, verse 48, I am the bread that gives life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they still died. Here is the bread that comes down from Hashemayim. Anyone who eats of this bread will never die. Just want to let you know he's already getting Kabbalistic. So Yeshua is the originalistic, Kabbalistic, logistic. Yeah, the the original Kabbalist. Yes, that is Yeshua. How are you going to tell somebody that you're the living bread that comes down from heaven and then say anyone who eats this bread will never die? What is he saying? Because if you bite Yeshua's literal arm, it ain't going to taste like hala, even though the first Adam was formed like challah and that's why we eat challah on shabbat that's why the woman is in charge of making the challah which is another chaye sarah drop but that's for another time um yeshua is the second adam who's also made like challah but he doesn't really taste like challah if you bite his arm because he's gonna bleed like a normal human being would but anyway what's he saying he's talking about something else he's talking about eat me the bread torah it's called bread. Yeshua said, I am the Torah. And if you eat my Torah, you're going to have eternal life. Don't have time to get into that. But this is why we say, 
Asher natan lanu Torah temet vechaye olam natabetokenu, who has planted eternal life within us. Okay, so yeah, that's that bracha that we say after reading the Torah. So, going on, when he talks about this, he goes on to say, anyone who eats his bread will never die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from Shemaim. Anyone who eats his bread will live forever. The, this bread is my flesh. The Torah is called flesh, by the way, which is bread, which is wine, which is blood. And then the oral Torah is Maim, which is water. So you have blood and water, the written Torah and the oral Torah. Going on, it says, which I will give up so that the world may have life. Then the Jewish leaders began to argue among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Obviously, they missed it because they're thinking Peshat and Yeshua is like, I'm sowed. Begin, Mashiach is not Halakha, Mashiach is sowed. So it's a very deep thing. So the very fact that we even know that we should believe in Mashiach and know who Mashiach is, like that's a very deep thing. So we should be very, very grateful that Hashem has opened our eyes. So let us not forget that. Verse 53, Yeshua said to them, I tell you the truth. You must eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Otherwise, you won't have real life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me and I live in them. So there you go. And uh, going on to verse 50. What is this? Uh, oh, verse 57. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who eats of me will also live because of me. So there you go. And again, verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless my father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeshua bookends that by saying the same thing that I will raise him up in verse 54, because he says, he who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So Yeshua bookended his drop kick to the face. Now, uh, going back to Mr. Kramer over here, he says on page 18, Mashiach must be someone unique and very awesome or Slika. Mashiach must be someone tr extremely unique and very awesome. Now, what the sages say of Mashiach, the Ari writes, Mashiach will be born from man and woman as any other human being. He will be very righteous and perform many meritorious deeds, thereby constantly elevating himself. Can we say Mashiach was born of a man and a woman? Because he was conceived by the Ruach HaKodesh, just like Yitzhak was to uh, Sarah. So was Mashiach conceived to Miriam by the Ruach HaKodesh. And uh, Mashiach had an earthly father whose name was Yosef because he's going to be Mashiach being Yosef. So obviously his dad had to be Yosef. And then, you know, Yitzhak's earthly father was Abraham, but it was really the Ruach HaKodesh that birthed him. 
So man and woman, not in the conventional way of the man giving his seed to the woman, but that this man and woman have a union that the Mashiach is born into. And is not born from that union, but he's born into their union, i.e. into their marriage, not into their marital relation time. But anyway, uh, it says his efforts ultimately bring him to a very exalted level, at which point he will be able to receive his Yekida, the unique soul that was prepared for him prior to creation. He will then realize who he is and what his mission will be. He will be endowed by Shemaim with the power to fulfill his task. That's from the Arba Me'ot Shekel Kesif, page 241, Zohar, volume 2, 7b through 8b, Matok Midvash, in the same section, Zohar Harakia Shemot, page 56b. And it goes on to finish, in this sense, he will be similar to Moshe, our first redeemer. So when you look at that, Moshe, when he was born, there was a supernatural light that filled the room. And Moshe's original name was Toviah, because when his mother, Yaakov, looked at him, she says, I saw the light and it is good. So that's where that comes from. And so uh, Moshe has a supernatural birth as far as the light is concerned. but. You see also that it talks about he's going to be brought to an exalted level. This is Yeshua grew in wisdom and stature. There's a verse in that from the Basora. And then there's another verse that talks about the, the Ruach HaKodesh coming down like a dove. That's him receiving the Yakita right there. The highest level of soul, which Yakida is the soul of Mashiach. We get to experience this if we merit on a Shabbat. We get to uh, exist in the soul of Mashiach if we are uh, meritorious and refining ourselves and really elevating on a Shabbat. Not speaking of mundane things and really um, being careful with our, our words and uh, really studying and praying and eating like we're supposed to. You can get to that level. And so it's a temporary thing that we get to, uh, so to speak, exist in the essence of Mashiach. And that experience that is available to us on Shabbat. So anyway, there's that because, you know, we have five levels of soul and the highest level is the Yechida. And it is said that we reach that high level on Shabbat. So that's the additional soul that's talked about that is within us and that we're supposed to rejoice in, which the word for rejoice is Simcha, which rearranges to Mashiach. So we get our Mashiach level on Shabbat if we truly call the Shabbat a delight and walk in the essence of that. One of the verses that was talking about Mashiach here was um, also at Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, my father has given me all things and no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the son except the father. But remember, Yeshua just said over here in Yochanan chapter six, verse um, 45 that it is written in the prophets they will all be taught by god everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me no one has seen the father except the the one who is from god only he has seen the father so now we connect that with this that no one knows the son except the father and yet the father is who we're supposed to receive teaching from. And that's how we're brought to the son, because through the father, we're brought to the son. But through the son, we're brought to the father. I know that's a lot to take in, but trust, hang in there. 
And no one knows the father except the son and those whom the son chooses to tell or reveal it. Seriously, no one knows the father except the son. And the only way you can know the father is through the son because it's whom the son chooses to reveal. But that's only after the fact that Hashem has chose to reveal the Mashiach to that particular individual. That's 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 like that's as real as the Bible, as they say, <laughs> like that's I don't know what to do with myself right now. But I'm going to tell you what. One of the cross-reference verses on Yochanan 6.44, talking about no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. It talks about this drawing thing in Yermiyahu 31.3. And in the Tanakh, if you read it, or in the uh, Milstein edition of Yermiyahu, it's actually on verse 2. So 31 verse 2. Three, if you have a regular Bible, it says from the distant past, Hashem appeared to me and I have loved you with an eternal love. Therefore, I have extended kindness to you. Literally in this verse, one of the translations says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving devotion. So when you look at that, it says. So with an eternal love, I have loved you. And it's in the, the feminine, like because Israel is feminine. It says, And I have extended to you chesed. But this is an interesting word here. So I'm going to go to that verse just to get some more... Um, Wait on this word, Meshoktich, uh, from Yermiyahu 31, 2 if you have a normal Bible, or 3 if you have a normal Bible, 2 if you have a Tanakh. Okay, and this word Meshoktich can mean extend or draw, okay, and it comes from the word Meshok, okay, Mem Shin Kaf. So feet, that is the ending cough. The first time we use this word, bear sheet 3728. This is my tour portion. I'm going to throw everything right now. They pass by or Sika. Read it in the unlinear format. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Yosef up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Mitzrayim. Some trans... Okay, we're going to have to read this in interlinear format because Midianites and Ishmaelites seems to be a thing. So when passed by Midianite traders, they pulled up and lifted out Yosef from the pit and sold him. So... If you read the Hebrew, it's actually the Midianite people who pulled Yosef out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. So that brings up the discrepancy of was it the brothers that sold him or was it other people that sold him? The answer is yes, because Yosef was only in the pit because his brothers put him there. And then when these Midian, these Midianite people are passing by, which, by the way, 
Moshe went to Midian. Yitro came from Midian. Yitro was a convert, and that convert has the name of the Torah portion where the Torah was given. And so it was this whole thing about the converts have to be brought in so that Mashiach ben Yosef can be brought forth. But anyway, this is why Yeshua says, I'm here for the lost sheep. And then after his ascension, he said, all right, now that we've gotten all the lost sheep, let's go ahead and get the rest of the world. Anyway, it's that word meshok, to pull up or draw out. So anyway, commentary says meshoktik. It says the translation follows radak, malbim, however transfer or however renders, draw you out. God states, my love for you is eternal. Therefore, I will draw you out of exile with beneficence. Okay, going up, it says, alternatively, which is rendered, and I have loved you with the love of the world, i.e. Hashem transferred his love for all mankind to the Jewish nation. Because it is the only one that fulfills the purpose of creation, which is to recognize and serve the true God. That's our Barbanel in Mashmiyah Yeshua 4.4. This is why when you go to Shemot chapter 19, you understand how do we become a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. It says in verse 5 of chapter 19 of Exodus, which is Shemot, Shemot 19.5, Exodus 19.5. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people, for all the earth is mine. Okay, so now let's go ahead and do the cross-reference on this verse, because Kepha talks about this verse as well. Talk about us being a royal priesthood. A holy nations. Where does he say that at? First K for two nine. First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You got to understand that people who can't see Yeshua are under darkness. People who are still walking around in sin and disobedience, they are in darkness. Okay, so with this whole thing, this is why we are the people of God. And so I want to finish out our little section here with um, the fact that what were, what was I going? The chosen people. This is why we're Hashem's people. Um. Okay, got a little timer going off. All right, so I'm going to do a little uh, second thing if I can't think about this point here that I was trying to finish with um, in regards to being people of Mashiach. Oh, yeah, the blindness that is on uh, Israel because those who are Torah observant but yet um, rejecting Yeshua they're still in covenant and they're still saved because first of all, they can't really see Yeshua. That's why they keep calling him Jesus. And we just went over all that, what the implications of that are. And therefore those who are proclaiming Jesus and saying that they're saved, but yet they don't 
uh, bring themselves in the covenant through conversion and all of that. And they don't keep the Torah at all. They're not obedient to that part of the Bible. Uh, so we, that's kind of awkward. So how is it working for the Jews, but not working for the Christians, you know, kind of thing. So what's up with that? This, by the way, as a side note, is why there's a lot of condemnation that comes from the Christian pulpit, like turn or burn, get chick get sanctified or chicken fried. And if you die today, are you do you know if you're going to go to heaven or hell? And it's just like, why so convicting? Like, what is the deal? What about living for God? What about repenting? What about having a changed life? Not just this ethereal belief in someone who you're calling by the wrong name. But anyway. Romans eleven twenty five, the Agarit to Rome, chapter eleven twenty five says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Because why? What is going to happen? And in this way, all Israel will be saved because those who are going to come in from the nations are going to be those missing sheep that have to be gathered in to the flock. And it says the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godliness, godlessness away from Yaakov. So when you look at all that, uh, there's the whole understanding, too, that their rejection is our acceptance but yet their acceptance will lead to the resurrection of the dead. So um, let's see here. Where is that? Man, I feel like so, so rushed right now because my timer is like, you better get this done. You only got 60 minutes. I'm like, man, come on. Anyway, uh, what more will the acceptance be? Let's see. Okay, so it's verse 15. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, just like in first or in Corinthians five, talking about he who knew no sin became sin, that old passage, because we're recon Hashem was reconciling himself, reconciling the world to himself through Mashiach's being rejected. So the rejection is a whole step of reconciliation. So if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what would their acceptance be? But Tekiyat Hamitim. May it be so speedily in our days. That will conclude our segment on Yeshua or the name of Mashiach. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye holam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, notein ha Torah. Amen.